I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. Larry was a turning point in my life. Larry came to see that God justifies the ungodly. It became the center of his whole life and through Larry, mine. There's one thing he never overlooked and that was Christ saves sinners. Larry was convinced in his bones that Christianity was about Christ. I'll never be grateful enough for the message that Larry Horton left me because it was nothing less than the message of Christianity. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted, as so many were during his life. In episode 6 of The Timeless Gospel, I move us forward in time 12 years to a sermon Larry preached in the summer of 2000 at New Covenant Bible Church. The title of the sermon is called, Where is Your God? After the episode, Larry's son-in-law, Daniel, who I interviewed in episode 2, returns and we discuss the doctrine of free will and what happened when Adam fell. Finally, I'll leave you with a hymn called Come to the Waters, written by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce and Paul Stephen Jones, performed by the 10th Church Choir. I had this problem my whole life, and this past week I came in on the song, I don't have my problem solved, but it's wonderful, it's just flat wonderful to know that I have the same problem as David. <laughs> that, that gives me some comfort. Well, David had the same, same problems that I had. Part of my Christian life, I wanted people to believe me because a couple of reasons. One is I had the truth. It was true. What I had, what I, what I taught was true. And you really need to believe it because it's true. It's God's word. And secondly, you just need to believe it because it's true and you need to believe me. And if you believe me, then I can minister to you. I can teach you more. And we can just have a great time. You just believe me and, and trust me and, and just look at the word and I'm going to give you the truth and believe the truth. And that's frustrating because no one will, no one does. Then I came to a place where I don't know when or how, but I came to a place where I, I'm saying, you've got to believe me. I'm speaking the truth, but it's no longer that that you need to believe me because I can do something for you or that for my sake. I've at least come that far, and there's some comfort in this. Don't don't believe me for my sake anymore. God, don't show these people the truth for my sake anymore. Show them your truth for your sake. But there's some comfort there, and there's some whole lot less frustration. When as you speak and teach, you're no longer concerned about what the people think of, your, of you, but that you're trying to communicate the attributes of God and hoping that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that these attributes will be revealed in your life. That's what David is saying here. 
before we read Psalm 115, I believe we have to read Psalm 114. I believe the two kind of go together. I believe that Psalm 15 is talking. Uh, it seems to me like this is in the mind of the writer. The thought that's in his mind could very well be uh, Psalm 114 as he writes Psalm 115. Here, David is remembering the, the wonders, the absolute wonders of Almighty God, the great things that he has done, the magnificent things that God has done, that God has performed. So we read verse 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah was a sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. Sea saw it, fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like land, and the little hills like lands. What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, thou was driven back. Ye mountain that ye skipped like lands, and ye little hills like land. Here's the reason. Here's the reason. Why did the Red Sea part? Why did the Jordan move back? Why did the mountains skip like rams and the little hills like lambs? Tremble. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord. Everybody knows everything there is to know about God. And they go around every the religious people, every other sentence out of their mouth is praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. All these, this familiarity with God Almighty. The sea rolls back. The sea parts. The water moves back. The mountains skip. The hills skip like little lambs at the presence of the Lord. And not only of his almightiness, of, of his creativity, but also his holiness. And all these religious people everywhere are so familiar with Jesus, so familiar with the Bible, know everything there is to know about the Bible. There's no fear before their eyes. But oh, if God would just, if God would just reveal Himself again, like He did here, if the heathen could see, if these religious people could see the mighty works of God. As Israel did when they departed from Egypt. Oh, wonderful that would be. Tremble thou earth, thy presence of the Lord, at the presence of thy God of Jacob, which turned the rock into standing water, the flint to a fountain of water, that we might see Almighty God revealed in this day. Verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but two things everyone in this room should do or should be thankful for. Number one is for the great teaching that you have received, the absolute great teaching that you have received. Oh, Larry, that's no hyper. The absolute great teaching that you have received. And secondly, the grace that God has given you to understand this great teaching. It's not everywhere. It's very few places. I'm not talking about just the five points. I'm talking about the counsel of God. I'm talking about the scripture. 
I don't care who knows how much. I don't care who's the smartest. Here in this little place, the scriptures are being proclaimed and revealed in truth. Is the, is the Holy Spirit working and magnifying Christ and lifting up Christ and, and doing a work? And do we see the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit? No. I wish we were. I wish we were. I wish we could experience Psalm 114. It's not happening. But we can thank God for our little group. Thank God for the great teaching. Verse 1, not of us. <laughs> do you understand the truth? Not of us. Not of us, O oh Lord. There's so much garbage. Thank you, Christ, being taught everywhere. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a nickel's worth of difference when you go to church. They all have their religious traditions, whichever it is. It doesn't make any difference. Even if you practice it, it wouldn't make any difference. Even if I, I, could, I could be there and practice those traditions. It wouldn't hurt me a bit. Where's the truth? Where's God being revealed? Where is the God of Scripture, the almighty, sovereign, gracious, redeeming, particular God being revealed in our day? Where that is, the people should be thankful. You have a being. You have physical. You, you have a physical body, but it's not of us. Not of us, O Lord. That's a miracle. God's grace. You have health. You have outward comforts. Not of us. Not unto us, O Lord. We have friends and family and love. Always oh, the love that we have from our uncles and mothers and dads above us to our children, nieces and nephews below us, to our brothers and sisters, to the church family. We have such friends. We have such family. We have such love. But it's not unto us. Not unto us, O Lord. We didn't do it. I know nothing. I do nothing. I am nothing. Not unto us. We have the means of grace. We have faith. We have perseverance. We believe. But it's not unto us. We have a usefulness in this world. We have a usefulness, God's kingdom. It's not unto us, O Lord. Not us. We didn't do nothing. We didn't do anything. Somewhere, somewhere down the line, the Holy Spirit will to work in our life. God sent somebody to teach us the truth, and we believe. That's continuing. But it's not unto us. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us. But unto thy name. Give will. God gets all the glory. Maybe God gets most of the glory, but I did a little something. No, God gets all the glory. Not unto us. And you know you know that. And you know I know that. Aren't you thrilled that we know that? That we can give God all the glory? At least I, no, no, you didn't. Well, no, no. Well, I look, no, you didn't. That's all of God. Salvations of the Lord and just because it's on my mind, or anyone that might listen to that tape, the Christian life is of the Lord also. Only. Once we become Christians, we do not enter into cooperation with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ, or the Father. We're as sinful the day after we believe as the day before we believe. The only thing is, we've been declared righteous by a holy, just God. 
and my stance before him is in Christ. I will stand with Luther, who said, I want nothing to do with an absolute weapon. Be there in Christ, or I don't want to be there. But unto thy name give glory for thy mercy, for the truth's sake. Not unto us, but Lord, it's it's because of your name. It's because of your mercy. Because of your grace. Because of your grace and truth. Mercy and grace. If you if you like to separate things, fine, but I I lump them together. Mercy and grace. One has said, someone said, I don't remember who, uh, grace is God giving, grace is God giving you that which you do not deserve. Mercy is God not giving you that which you do deserve. Maybe that's a good distinction, but I just put lump them together. Grace, God's grace and truth. How, how they, how the heathen, religious, but how the heathen put down God's grace. Lord, show them. Lord. Do a miracle. Lord, work like you worked when you delivered Israel and show these religious heathens your grace and your truth. Not, not for my sake. It's not unto us. I, I've got nothing to, to be concerned about. No one's mistreating me, but Lord, they're mistreating you. Won't you, can't you do something about it? Won't you do something about it? Because it's your grace that they're putting down. It's your truth that they're putting down. And because of your grace and because of your truth, Lord, do something. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Lord, reveal yourself in our day. Unbear your mighty arm. Let these heathens see who you really are. Reveal your majesty. Reveal your sovereignty. Reveal your glory. Reveal your holiness to these rebels. Reveal yourself. Let us go back to a day, Lord, where the victories of the apostles in the preaching of the gospel. What a wonderful time. What a wonderful time. What magnificent things took place while the apostles preached the gospel. Go back to the Reformation of much later day. Go back to the Reformation. All the, the, the great wonders that you perform during this great time of history when many, many were brought to you. Or even in America, in even later days. Lord, do something. Uh, bring, bring us back to a time of, of Whitfield and Edwards that men may come to you and believe and believe your grace and believe your truth. If it would help, I would take up a collection. Go get an airplane ticket, fly to London, England, find Charles Spurgeon's grave, kneel down at, the, at, at Charles Spurgeon's grave, lift my eyes to heaven and say, Lord, do it again. Look what they say. Verse 2, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Where should the heathen say, wherefore should the heathen say, 
Lord is now your God, David. <laughs> David, where's your God? We got gods. We know where our gods are. Why? Why does God allow someone to, to even think such a thing? Much less say it out loud. You sovereign gracious. Uh, where's your God? Look at your little group. Lord, don't let them talk to me like that. Not for, not unto me, not unto us, Lord, but unto you, for your name's sake and for your grace and for your truth. Where's your God? Better question is, where's your God not? If I go to heaven, God's there. If I'm in the grave, God's there. If I go into the deepest part of the sea, God's there. Can't get away from him. Well, I'll just go off somewhere and just cover myself with dark, darkness and light the same to our God. Why? Why, God? Do you allow these people to talk bad, to not believe these religious, no-good count people, to, to, to believe in, in this free will and in, in their works and in, in all this stuff? When, Lord, you know that's not right. Lord, you are the God of grace. You are a God of mercy. You are a God of truth. Reveal it to them. Don't let them talk to me that way. Don't let them look down at our church. Why do you even allow them to live? Lord, look at what they say about your son's redemption. Look at what they say about your son's blood. Lord, why do you, why do you allow them? Why don't you do something? Why don't you do it again? Why do you allow them to talk that way? They're meeting on every corner this morning, all over this country, all over this nation. In the name of God, the name of Christ, and they're putting down God. They're just flat putting him down. They're slapping him in the face. Lord, when are you going to do something? Where is your God? Where's your God, David? Why, why can the heathen even ask such a question? Lord, when are you going to do something? When are you going to bring us back to Egypt? Show us the great miraculous works. When are you going to when are we going to have a reformation? When are we going to have a first awakening in America? When are we going to have a second awakening? Don't let them talk to me that way. Wherefore, should the heathen say, where is now their God? David gave them an answer. Our God's in the heavens. <laughs> you dummy. You know, you think you know something asking that, asking that question. My God's in heaven, and he does whatsoever he pleases. My God's in heaven. Well, what's he doing? Whatever he wants. Wherefore, should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God's in the heaven. He's done whatsoever, whatsoever he hath pleased. Our God's in heaven. Our God's in the earth. He's overlooking all things. There's nothing that can happen that can't happen through his, has to go through his purpose and will. Sparrow can't fall to the ground without it going through God's purpose. He's numbered the hairs on their head. A leaf cannot fall from a tree, go to hit the ground, and rot. Supply life back to the root of that tree. The leaf itself cannot fall from that tree without going through the divine will of God. It was the, the God of providence that brought water that drowned the world. Yeah, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a paddle boat, but as the paddle turns, it lifts up water from the river. Right when it gets to the top, the water kind of sprays. You got all these little beads of water. 
little tiny minuscule beads of water. When the sunlight hits it just right, it's it's really a pretty sight. These little beads are almost like a mist. God provided water that drowned the world, and God provides those little bitty beads of water just for your just for your sight. Has no other purpose really. He's in control of all things. Where is your God, David? My God's in heaven. Doing whatever he pleases. Brings the lightning, sends the lightning out, brings the lightning back, sends the rain. He's sovereign in creation. He's sovereign in providence. I have all power, I have power over all flesh. Where is your God? My God's in heaven. Doing whatsoever he pleases. He has power over all flesh. So you better watch him. We talk about we talk about place to meet. That's so important. I'm with you there. I want to continue to meet with you. I want desperately to continue for all of us to meet together. I don't want to get mushy, but I just don't know what 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 I think of you. And I can't think what I think of you if it wasn't being returned. So I know where we are here a little bit emotionally. I want us to meet together. But how insignificant that is. How insignificant that is compared to the God in whom we worship. The God of all creation. He made the heavens and the earth. The God of all providence. And the, 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 the God who says, I work all things, all ALL, all things after the counsel of my own will. That's the God that we worship. We're here worshiping the sovereign, almighty, truthful, right God of the universe who created it and who works also sustains it in his providence. And who by his goodness and love and grace decided to save you. What what truth that is compared to where a person means. I just use that illustration because that's all in our minds right now. I'm with you. I want to meet. I want to go somewhere else. I want to meet somewhere else. Uh, but that's secondary to our worship of our our wonderful God. But our God, our God's in the heaven. He does whatsoever He will. Please turn this week. I think the last time to uh, Psalm 135, verse four. You just can't write anything this plain. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob to himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleaseth, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. God, where's your God? My God's in heaven doing it whatsoever he pleases. In heaven, earth, in sea, all deep places. And then it goes on, uh, much like the, the, the chapter we're in. Back to our text. These heathen, they've got gods. They're religious. They have zeal. Verse 4, they're idols. They're gods. Their idols are silver and gold. Where does silver and gold come from? Out of the ground, right? Where do trees come from? They come out of the ground. You can build yourself an idol out of a tree if you want to. Put silver and gold on it if you want to. All you're doing is you just got yourself a god of dust. Now, where do we come from? Dust. Where are we going? Dust. You see, your god is you. 
if you if your God is earthy. If you can make yourself a God, then then it's just you. We'll see that see that here in a minute. Our God's in the heavens. Our God is sovereign, almighty. Your God comes from the dust. You religious idiot. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hand. You see, the maker, the maker always has more glory than that that he makes. That's certainly true, isn't it? So in essence, if you're not worshiping the true and living God, the only other way you can be worshiping is working something that you have made out of your own imaginations. Don't think of the heathen over there in Africa. Think of the heathen in Oklahoma City who are worshiping right now in a, in a, in a place of worship and, and singing praises to God. Their God can be no bigger than they are because they make it. They make, they, they make their own God. Their God is feeble. He can only do what they let him do. Their, their, their God is base. Their God is earthy. Their God is low down because they're low down and they've made their God. God of their free will. God of their traditions. The God of their superstitions. The God of their imagination. How would you like to worship a God that can only work, can only do what you let him do? That's idol worship. They're idols. Where's your God, David? My God's in heaven. Working th all things after the counsel of his own will. Doing whatsoever he pleases. What's your God up to? Their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of men's hands. They have mouths. Their gods have mouths, but they speak not. They can't speak of wisdom. They can't speak of love. They can't speak of sacrifice, substitution. They just sit there. They can't. They got a mouth. They can't speak. They have eyes. Eyes have they, but they see not. They're just a god of your own making. Can't talk. It's got a mouth. Can't talk. Got eyes. Can't see. Our God can see. Where's your God? My God's in heaven, and he sees me. He sees me in Christ. He sees me in Christ before the foundation of the world. He sees me in Christ at the cross. He sees me in Christ. Buried. He sees me in Christ at the resurrection. He sees me in Christ all throughout all eternity. At his right hand. My God can see. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes. Eyes have they, but they, they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. David said, out of the depths, out of the depths of my trouble, I call on thee, O Lord. He heard him. One guy, Lord, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. God has ears he can hear. They have noses. That's kind of funny, isn't it? They have noses, but they smell not. Does God smell? According to Ephesians 5, 2, he does. Sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will save your, save, save your Lord unto the Lord. They have hands, but they handle not. They can't help you. And the God of, the, the, the God of, the, of our day in our religious world, he can't help anybody. He can only help those that let him. And my, my Bible says that God won't help anybody. He won't help anybody 
if they got a letting, God only helps the helpless. He only feeds the beggars. He only clothes the naked. God does it all. Are you helpless? I'll help you. My God will help you. My God who's in heaven, working all things after the counsel of his own will, he'll help you. You just need a little help. You can do most of it, but you just need a little help. I want to tell you. They have hands, they handle not, feet have they, but they walk not, neither speak. They through their throat. Their God, the heathen gods, is senseless. They have no senses. <laughs> They're senseless. And the people who worship them are senseless. Our God speaks, hears, sees, helps. He's everywhere. It's not, where is your God? It's, where is your God not? Now, verse 8, they that make them are likened to them. What's your God like? My God is the God of sovereign grace. Oh, he is. Oh, he is. And I already know something about you. You have wonderful thoughts. You have great hope. Great hope. I know that you're a powerful person. I know that you're a persevering person. I know that you are a patient person. If your God is sovereign, well, what about your God? Well, yeah, uh, my God, I, I, I believe my God. I had to come to him with my free will. Oh, your God then is not, your God is not more powerful than you are. Well, I don't like to say it that way, but in essence, that's exactly right. I, if, I, if I don't choose to believe in God, if I don't choose to do his will, then it won't be done. Well, then I know a lot about you too. Feeble, you're untrustworthy, shake easily because your God's no good. You're just like the God you worship. My God's a God of love, discriminating love, peculiar, particular love. Oh, be my good friend, you know something about love. You can love me. You know a little bit about love. Sacrifice for love. Well, God, you just love everybody. There is no love. If God loves everybody, God doesn't love anybody. You made your God, David says. Where's your God, David? He's in heaven, doing whatsoever he pleases. Where's your God? He's up on a shelf that you made. Can't speak, can't talk, can't do nothing. You know something, old buddy? You are just like him. You are just like your God. Where does gold and silver come from? Your, your God can't see, and you don't see. Your God can't hear, and you can't hear. You never heard nothing right in your life. Unless you're sitting and listening to me now. Can't help. You're feeble, worthless, or useless. Got no hope. You're without hope. You're without Christ. You're without God in this world. Got you a nice organ. Sing real well. But you're without hope. It's God in whom you worship. You're just like him. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Every person is just like his God. Now these next three verses. Oh, Israel. Who was Israel? Jacob. You ever wrestled when you was a kid? You know, you wrestled to one of you said, Uncle. Uncle. So then you let go. Well, I never let go. I was always let go of. 
<laughs> That's what that whole passage is about. Back then, there was a. It, take a long time to explain it to you, but back if you haven't heard it already, but that, that back then, uh, that's how you cried up is you gave them your name. What's your name? You kept writing, what's your name? Kept writing, what's, what's your name? Finally, when you gave up, going to cry uncle, you gave them your name. So the Lord's wrestling with Jacob. And he says, well, what's your name? And he finally gave up. He said, Jacob. The Lord says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. No count, Prince of Bud. That's 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 who that, that's my God. That's God in whom I believe that can take a worm like Jacob. And there again, the word study is a wiggling maggot. Taking a wiggling maggot like Jacob, turning him into the prince of God. Oh, my God could do mighty things. Oh, Israel, trust thou in the Lord. Who is Israel? Israel is the chosen of God. Verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. Who is Aaron? Those were the priests. Those were the ones who went into the inner sanctuary. Those were the ones who made sacrifices and offerings. The elect, those who worshiped, those nearest to the throne. O house of Aaron, ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Verse 11. Who is that? It's the nations. All the nations out of every tribe, tongue, kindred nation. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. And then behind these three verses, we have this same thing repeated in 9, 10, and 11. Israel, Aaron, you who fear, trust in the Lord. For he is your help and your shield. He's my help. If I'm helpless, he's my help. Trust in the Lord. He's my help. He's my shield. What's a shield good for? Protection. Love. Wisdom. Wisdom. How wise he is. His grace. All these marvelous attributes of God. My shield. Sets his angels to, to, to guard over me. He gives me trials. But he gives me grace. Protect me. He protects me from evil. He protects me from devils. He protects me from trouble. I'm sorry. He protects me from disaster. Not protecting me. But his grace is sufficient. Lord, this hill's too this too high. This hill's too hard. No, it's not. No, it's not. My grace is sufficient. Lord, you just you just don't know what I'm going through. I, I just can't I just can't go any further. Oh, yes, you can. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. You worry about a thing. I care about you. <clears throat> I care about you and I think about you. And I'm working everything out in providence for your good and my glory. So just don't you worry about it. You just keep climbing that hill. My grace is sufficient. I'm mindful of you. Verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear him, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, and your children. You are blessed to the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The Lord is mindful of you. Can you fathom that? 
I don't know how many people there are in Oklahoma City, how many people are in Oklahoma, how many people there are in the country, how many people are in the world, but he's mindful of you. Always in Christ. Nevertheless, mindful of you. He's got purpose. He's got direction for you. And he's able. He's able to carry it out. He's not waiting for you to make the right choice so that he can work. He's able and will direct your path. I, I just, maybe it's me, but I just don't believe that a person can truly worship God who does not believe and understand the almightiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God. I just don't see how you can, how you can rest in any other God, a God who never changes, whatever. I mean, he never changes. Whatever's going on with me, uh, I can go all the way back to Moses if I want to. Wherever I want to go, I can go all the way back. But God doesn't change. God was not, God did not change dealing with Moses. And God's not going to change dealing with me. And there's some real comfort there. And if, if, if I'm a Christian, if I believe that God has saved me by his sovereign grace, and he's not going to change because I don't have a whole lot to worry about. I come before him and worship him. I don't see how people can truly worship God who don't understand this. Their gods on the mantle. Their gods can't talk. Their gods can't see. Their gods are the God that they made. How many children do you have? How many grandkids? How many children will you have? How many grandkids will you have? How many moms and dads? How many brothers and sisters that are not Christians? What hope do you have? The only hope you've got is praying, going to a sovereign God who hasn't changed salvation. That's the only hope you have. I can't for life me figure out why an Armenian prays. I cannot figure that out. It makes absolutely no sense to me why an Armenian would ever pray for anyone's salvation. Unless they pray to the person they were once saved. I've got a brother and I should just say, Brother John, please be saved. What can God do about it? That's not the way it is. I've got hope, even for my brother John. If God is sovereign, love to show kindness and goodness. Who knows? But I'm going to trust the judge that does right and not in ability for brother John to believe. I just don't see how you can worship if you don't understand. God is sovereign. What kind of problems are you having this morning? God knows all about them. He's working on it. He's working on it. Checks in the mail. And he's going to do exactly what's right. He's never, he never does wrong. God doesn't do what's right. It's right if God does it, no matter what it is. He's never done wrong with you, ever. That's comfort. And that's power, perseverance, glory. But the dead man, he's not going to believe this. You know, the Lord, the Lord, the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. He's mindful of you. He's mindful of me. He's mindful of us. And he blesses us. He is going to bless us. Well, what do we got to do to get this blessing? <laughs> He's going to bless us. Period. Well, what's the what's the catch? No catch. He's just going to bless us. And the one who's going to bless us is the one who made the world. The one who said, let there be light and light shone is the same one who's going to bless us. Because our God is in heaven doing whatsoever he wills.
it just it just can't get any better than this. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. You were on episode two, and you talked about uh, the influence that Larry had in your life. And then we talked a little bit about the sermon, but we mainly talked about uh, how you came to be saved and how you came to be under Larry's teaching. And now we're going to talk about the sermon that we just played. And I would say that this is the most poetic sermon. If you, if a sermon can be poetic, the way he kept repeating that phrase, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, it was so powerful. And I, I did bring this sermon on next, even though chronologically it, it doesn't fit because we're doing Romans 1, we're doing Romans, but we've got like three chapters of the wrath of God. And I wanted to put something in there to break that up a little bit, because three chapters of the wrath of God is a little bit much. So I I found this sermon. It's been so much fun looking through these tapes and listening to them and just finding these jewels. And I wanted to bring you on to talk, to really get into the sermon and talk about what Larry said, the crux of the sermon. And like I said, uh, poetic was the thing that came to mind for me. And you you were saying that this was a humbling sermon for you. Well, what do you what do you mean by humbling? Well, first, thanks for having me back again. Um, I really enjoyed last time. I remember Larry preaching this sermon and the effect that it had on me and the, the effect that Psalm 115 has continued to have on me. And it, it, is, it is that. It is that forces you into a humility, um, a godly humility. Um, because um, it just destroys any possibility of taking glory to yourself. And um, I know we all do that, but um, try to take glory to ourselves. But I think that has always been a particular problem in my life. And this verse, this psalm will not allow for that. In my ministry, in my ministering to people, um, I tend to think about all of the prep work that went into presenting a message or a lesson and the amount of time that I spend, if I spend a lot of time preparing, uh, I think, well, okay, I, I, I've spent a lot of time preparing and so it, 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 it'll be more effective. Or if I didn't spend very much time, um, it won't be as effective. And that's just me trying to take glory to myself as if the work that I put into it affects how effective it'll be. And God has proven to me that that's just not the case a, a, a number of times. I don't remember exactly where I was or what I was teaching, um, but I remember not being able to put in really any time at all and getting up there anyways and trying to present the Bible, trying to present Christ as best I could with virtually no preparation. To think that I'm the one that can, that I'm the one actually doing the ministering and not God, not, not the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that's just false. Um, it, it, it's not me, it's God working. Um, I'm just the, the means that he's using. The feedback that I've, I've gotten in those situations has been far more positive than when I put in a lot of effort. I don't know, maybe that says something about the, the <laughs> effort that I'm putting in. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's everything in life, not just ministry. But is my, is my family healthy? Are they well-fed? Do they, do they love 
Christ? Do they love each other? Um, are they advancing towards their goals? Anything you can think of in life, uh, it, it's, it's God doing it. And so it's pride crushing mm-hmm. to think, like Larry said, I am nothing. Yeah, and I've learned uh, in the past couple of years, it's so helpful <laughs> for my mental health. I have low expectations of people. People can give what they can give or or what they're willing to give, and it may not be what you expect, but if you have low expectations and you just know that everybody... Dad used to say, uh, I'm not God's secretary, or I'm not the Holy Spirit's secretary, so it's not up to us to go around making sure other people are living up or... Right. And I, I w- I've never taught a sermon, but I would imagine that there's a little bit of unconscious expectation and you're learning that you d- you just don't have any idea what the effect is going to be. No. So you, c- you can't expect, oh, g- great sermon, because that's going to come when you least expect it. And does. Yep. That's yeah. exactly right. Yep. Well, I wanted to contrast... Two things in this sermon. Don't you think the crux of this sermon is who gets the glory? Who Certainly. who gets the glory? And you know, uh, fundamental evangelical Christians will hold so tightly to the doctrine of free will uh, that it's it's amazing how tightly held this belief system is. When there's so many verses in the Bible that clearly preach against it but they don't want to let go of the belief. So I am going to quote um, our friend Billy Graham. And there's people um, in our church who think a lot of Billy Graham, and, and he was a, a he taught salvation. I mean, he taught justification by faith in Christ. Uh, this, this free will business, though, um, it's awful. It's awful. So from with all confidence of the pulpit, he said... Um, he had just quoted Revelation, the, the verse in Revelation, in Revelation 3 that talks about uh, standing at the door and knocking. So he says, why doesn't he just push the door open and come in and save you? He never interferes with your will. You have a will of your own. That's the way he made you. He made you in his image. You can reject him. You can go to your grave rejecting Christ, and there is nothing God can do about it. He will do everything in his power to warn you. He will do everything in his power to bring incidents across your path to stop you, but he won't trespass on your free will. And then from da- from Larry, we have in this sermon, we have uh, their God is, he's talking about um, these, these, the people that David is addressing in Psalm 115, their God is feeble. He can only do what they let him do. Their God is base, their God is earthy, their God is low down because they are low down and they've made their God, the God of their free will. And we were talking earlier, don't you think um, that free will is an idol that they make? Absolutely. Um, I've thought it has, it, it's odd, for many years I've thought it's odd how free will Baptist churches will put free will Baptist church on their sign as if that is their most precious doctrine. They're, they are proud of that doctrine. And I would just ask, what, what verse is that? What, what verse is that that says what Billy Graham said? He will, he will never 
trample on your free will? Is that what he said? Yeah, saying? he won't trespass he on won't your free will. He won't trespass on your free will. Where is that in the Bible? Mm-hmm. I can't find that. And, and, and instead, I find verses like Psalm 115, passages like Psalm 115 that clearly says that God does whatsoever he will. Yeah, and and the uh in the inference that Billy Graham is making is because he may, we're made in his image then we can reject him. So I wonder what Billy Graham has to say about the fall. The fall. I mean, what why we agree that we are made in the image of God, but why does that mean then that the fall didn't take place? Right. And and the will of man is damaged in that fall. Yeah, we don't come from a neutral position where we can either choose salvation or choose uh, eternal damnation. We don't. We're not neutral in that spot. And and we had Romans one eighteen. Um, you everyone knows that there's a God, and there's the the conviction in the creation, and then there's several other ways that we're convicted. But we're dead. Mm-hmm. We're dead, and that's what happened at the fall. We're dead. So I, I'll tell you, your wife and I, Joy, my sister, we were invited to many years ago to a Bible study, to participate in a church-sponsored Bible study from a, a fundamental evangelical um, woman. It was like a ladies' Bible study. And if you're going to invite Joy and Faith Ann Horton, Larry Horton's daughter, uh, to a Bible study, the best thing for you to be is a Calvinist. <laughs> Um, but if you're not a Calvinist, that's okay. You you can invite them. Um, but the but one thing you sure don't want to do is be in the Book of John. And it's okay to be in the Book of John. But one thing you really don't want to do is be in John six. And what was so funny is um, they'd had enough of us after um, a few weeks, and we got to John six, and the uh, the leader said we are going to skip this chapter. That was that. their solution. We're yep. just going to skip it. Why not refute it? Why not? If if your free will uh, doctrine is is just so obvious, then why not read John six and explain to me why um, the Lord isn't going to save people that he he doesn't want to pray for certain people that he doesn't pray for the entire world, but he prays only for those that have been given to him. Explain that to me. Um, but they didn't want to do it. And then it was maybe the next week or so, uh, it was, well, you you ladies can, uh, you can be here, but I mean, enough of the nonsense. So then we decided, nah, that's okay. That's just awful. Yeah, it's it's such a firmly held belief, and it, it takes all the glory away from God. And uh, I don't know how it doesn't. I. I've not heard a good explanation how that doesn't take glory from God and give it to the one who made the choice. Right. And then you can't appreciate the grace that you've been given if you know that you are neutral. And you, I mean, what what does a, you know, if, if, a, if a person has ever been resuscitated, like actually dead for, I don't know, 10 seconds or something, and then they're, they do the paddles and they come back to life. That is a huge, that's a difference between um, somebody, a doctor mending a broken arm. There's not rejoicing when that arm is mended or the cast comes off, but there's rejoicing when the, when the person is brought back to life. That's what happens. We're brought back, we're brought to life 
newness of life in Him, and God gets the glory for that. There's no way around that um, biblically. And um, the belief in free will really is um, just clinging to tradition. That, that Going back to um, these churches that put free will on their sign as almost a badge of honor, um, they're not they're not clinging to scripture. There's there's nowhere you can find this in the Bible. Um, it's it's just that they grew up in a church that taught free will, and uh, they believe it because their preacher said it, and their preacher said it because they grew grew up in a free will Baptist church. Um, I. It just goes back to tradition, um, and we all have that. We all, we all, um, all Christians have a tendency to um, make what they grew up believing in more important than we ought. Um, but what we want to do as Christians is recognize where where our beliefs are derived from tr- our traditions and where our beliefs are derived from the Bible. And if we can recognize that and shed our traditions that do not align with the Bible, um, we, we, we come to a, a closer understanding of biblical truth. And you just don't, you, you don't find that willingness in, in many, many churches out there. Right, because it's a level of humility, like you said, that most people don't don't have they they don't want to think they've been wrong right yeah these are these are um very deep-seated beliefs and to think my whole life i've been wrong about this uh, most people are not willing to go there mm-hmm. yeah and and it, i've had experience t- t- telling somebody about the five points who who didn't grow up in church but didn't didn't profess to be an atheist but didn't know either way, one way or the other, Armenian or Calvin. And they'll think, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But you try and convince, like at that Bible study, I mean, you just try and convince an Armenian that the God's going to get the glory, that God is God, and it does not go over very well. Um, but then sometimes, like with you, it did. And we are, oh, I wanted to quote another thing, thing that Larry said. Uh, he said, where the God of Scripture, the Almighty, Sovereign, Gracious, Redeeming, Particular God is being revealed in our day, the people should be thankful. That's excellent. The people should be thankful Yeah. when they hear. And uh, so many times they're not. But I'm so thankful that our, our group is, our church is. And there's, I mean, there's, there's millions of Calvinists all over the world that are thankful as well. And it, it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't make us, you would, I mean, maybe that's part of the objection too from the Armenian is, well, I mean, who do you think you are? God picked you. He didn't pick me. You know, it doesn't have that effect on us at all. Mm-mm. No. A very it, humbling. It opposite. Yeah. 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 It, um, you would think that a, a Christian, somebody who claims to be a Christian, if, if they were told Look, God gets more glory if if we understand these passages more biblically. 
God gets all the glory if salvation is of the Lord. God gets all the glory if salvation is not a cooperation between the, the, the sinner and God. Um, you would think that somebody who claims to be a Christian would want that, would, would desire, yeah, I see what you are saying there. Um, God would get all the glory if my free will was not a part of the equation. Um, and you don't, you don't find the Arminian embracing that idea. Mm-hmm. They, they are hell-bent on uh, maintaining their free will. Yeah, they want God to be fair, but they don't want him to be God. And a, that's an idol. If, if I mean, that's an idol. I, God must be fair. That's an idol. Now, if, if in the Bible we found that that's actually how salvation occurred, is quote-unquote fairness, then okay, we'll believe that. But that's not what's taught. Right. Yeah, and God doesn't... I think Larry said it in this sermon. God does what's right. Because God does it. It's right because God does it. It's right because God does it. So you want God to be fair. It is the case that whatever God does is fair. He is just. He is holy. He is ultimately fair. And there's no standard of fairness outside of what God does that we can judge God by. Right, because he's the ultimate standard. So that works both with um, the atheist and the Armenian. Who's the ultimate standard if you're appealing to something other than Christ, then you're in the wrong wrong business. I mean, the, the ultimate standard can't be, well, I want God to be fair. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, the, the thing about um, prayer, I loved that. Uh, why does the Armenian pray for anyone's salvation? That's right. Why? You are, you're going to the wrong person. That'd be like... Um, you know, if I'm in business and I need to talk to the president of company X because I want to do business with the president of company X, and I plead with the president's secretary, well, the secretary can't. And that's kind of a, a good analogy of what the Armenian thinks is happening. Well, you get in with the secretary. Mm. God's the secretary. But if I get in good with God, God will influence mm. the unbeliever, the president. And No, that's not how it works. And... You're doing, I mean, you're, you're asking God to do something that, according to Billy Graham, <laughs> God will never do. Right. He will never do that, according to Billy Graham. Yep. So what's the point? I mean, I, it, it's, uh, I, I would love to ask somebody, an Armenian, that question. I've, I've never done it, but... Well, you should have an Armenian on the podcast. Oh, man, that would be <laughs> a little intimidating, but um, it, would be, it would be a good discussion for sure. Yeah. All right. Do you uh, have anything else to add, or are we did we beat this horse about as beaten as we can beat it? I think probably so. I think we've probably made a, a few freewheelers upset. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Well, um, thank you again. And if you would want to email me, uh, you can email thetimelessgospel at gmail and I read those emails. And I want to thank you again, Daniel. And uh, let's do this again soon. Thank you. We'll do.
Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast.